In this first episode of season two, I sat down with principal and student behavior management expert Rob Lands to discuss some of the most common mistakes we see schools make when it comes to addressing student behavior concerns. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff well-being action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Managing student behaviours in schools is no doubt a challenge, especially since the pandemic began almost four years ago. Ultimately, schools have changed, students have changed, classroom dynamics have changed, and our approach to managing students' behaviour needs to change as well. In order to address staff wellbeing, we also need to address the top workplace stresses of our people. Now, when I'm working with schools to support staff wellbeing, as part of that diagnostic process where we survey the staff and review multiple data sets as part of the school scan, there are schools who uncover a key priority area related to the management of student behaviour. According to our national survey data from the past two years, managing difficult student behaviour has been a top reported stressor for an average of 42% of surveyed staff across Australia. Now, this can sit as high as 72% of staff in some of the schools. This is why knowing our numbers is important, because for many schools, addressing staff wellbeing is not going to look how it might look in other schools with typical wellbeing initiatives like social events, early marks or wellbeing weeks, but instead through a focus on strategically approaching the school's student management systems. To discuss this further, I've invited my colleague, former principal from my days in schools and a mentor of mine for the next two episodes. Rob Lands is a school principal and expert in student and behaviour management. After honing his skills as a teacher and in a student services role, Rob stepped into the ACT Education Department, where he worked with numerous schools supporting leaders, teachers and staff with student behaviours. He then later transitioned back into school as a deputy principal and now is a school principal in the ACT. It's been amazing to reconnect with Rob on the show and I do hope you enjoy the next two episodes of us co-hosting. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Well-Led Schools, our very first for season two. In today's episode, we're talking to Principal Rob Lambs, who's an expert on student management and behaviour, and of course, on how to lead a school with well-being in mind. Rob and I have actually recorded a couple of podcasts already, so episodes two in season one. So this was how to systemise a focus on student behaviour management and how this can improve school, staff, health and wellbeing and culture. 
And episode three, which was around the 10 steps to meaningfully improve staff wellbeing and culture in 2023. And while this will be airing at the beginning of 2024, those tips and ideas still apply. So after this episode, head back to season one and listen to both of those episodes. So I'll jump straight in now. Boss, how are you? Where in Australia are you? Thanks, Adrian. Uh, yeah, doing really well, thanks. We're currently in Esperance, uh, obviously just pushing up towards Christmas. So we've been gallivanting around the countryside, having a very lovely time, uh, <laughs> enjoying the southwestern corner a lot. Just come over from Denmark and Bremer Bay, and it's been absolutely gorgeous. Blue water, crystal clear, white sands, just magic stuff. Yeah. Well, I'd say I'm jealous, but I now live on the Gold Coast, so <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good up day. here too. <laughs> we don't miss Canberra, do we? <laughs> and I heard this winter was a bit of a shocker, so I don't oh, that at all. Dear. For those of you listening, Rob's off around the country at the moment with his family in a camper van. So you've been doing it since when, do you reckon? Well, yeah, we left in April, so it's um, just over mm-hmm. eight months now and one month to get home. Mm, right. Well, I I always ask the same question when we um, begin the podcast, so I've tweaked it slightly and I wanted to ask you what's one thing that you've been doing over this time to look after and support your health and or well-being, I, but maybe the answer is all of it. <laughs> I was going to say this whole trip's been that, that notion of well-being and looking after self and bringing the family on that journey with me because you know, to be out in those open spaces and to have that fresh air and to take your time to do the things you want, that's that's been my well-being. So, yeah, heaps of it. And and going for runs in crazy canyons and running down little dirt tracks in the middle of nowhere. And I remember I went for a run in the middle of an NT and I got on a road and I just ran in a straight line for like six kilometres. It was just ridiculous. Like it just – there's so much space out there. It was such an eye-opener. I just remember watching the sun coming up and just thinking, yeah, this is – this is a great headspace to be in. <laughs> this is life. How good is that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've been trying to get, well, particularly me on my own, trying to get out a lot in the headland here and walking through the rainforest there. It's just so beautiful. I've got to dodge all the, the little dragons and things along the way. But um, what are they called? The bearded dragons. I think that's what they are. <laughs> little bearded dragons, okay. <laughs> I don't know whether that's great for my well-being, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's been really nice in there and it's great for that clarity of mind and walking and I get the best ideas there. I keep I shouldn't really be on my phone, but I keep stopping and noting things down because, like, oh, that's a great idea for some content or that's what I need to discuss in the podcast or something like that. So it's been really good. It is great for clarity though, isn't it, getting out and doing those things. I find on a run it's one of the best things. So I don't usually listen to music because my mind starts to wander when I'm out there doing that and I love it. Yeah, that was going to be my question was whether you had anything in your ears or whether it was just all. No, I just go out there and embrace it because some days it's horrible and you have to work through the pain of, you know, a terrible run when you're unfit <laughs> and other days it's as easy as thing as ever and you're just floating along as you're running and your mind wanders and you get to think about all this creative stuff. So I love the ebb and flow of what it can be depending on yeah. how fit I am at the time. <laughs> I'll bet. Okay, well, I've invited Rob on today because in my work – with schools in attending to staff wellbeing needs, I've seen some really interesting priority areas surface, uh, particularly around uh, key stresses in student behaviour management or classroom management or consistency across the school. And what I always say to schools is that it's really quite a challenge to address 
well-being in terms of putting all of these initiatives in place if one of the key stresses is around behaviour and safety and pastoral care concerns. Uh, it's really important that that is our wellbeing initiative and we see that they go hand in hand. And I've actually called Robin to support me in addressing some of these key challenges with schools. And we've been piloting an add-on service here to uh, on top of the well-led schools partnership programs which is to develop an action plan for these schools to address student and classroom behavior management and to systemize that whole school approach in the attempts to address that key stressor uh, and of course improve the school's culture and performance overall now from speaking and working with a few of these schools together hand in hand rob and i uh, to systemize that approach we're coming across a few key mistakes or even oversights or or things that we might be forgetting so we thought why not get together and discuss these issues over two podcasts uh, so the first podcast today is being around those mistakes or those oversights and then the flow on from here is that in the next episode, we'll talk about some of those solutions to, to key mistakes or areas of challenge. Now, how we've structured this is um, Rob and I, we think we work best when we just discuss things and, um, you know, things pop up and we can problem solve an action plan uh, in the moment. So I said to Rob, okay, we're going to go away and come up with five mistakes each and then come together, see if they align or spark ideas in, in one another, just so we're not, you know, ending up in that pattern of overstructuring a podcast episode. I think Rob and I work best in the way that we interact with one another in the moment. And we've seen that working with these schools. So we're going to give it a go. <laughs> fingers, fingers crossed it goes as well. It's back in our school days. Yeah. We throw the ideas together and then roll out and action them and they would always work. <laughs> uh, generally, they did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, in typical me form, I couldn't come up with just five. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I ended up with a few more, but maybe a few of ours will roll into one and then we'll have a few extra ideas in there. But I'm going to start with you. What was your first mistake or oversight or challenge that you're you're noting when you've worked with schools or while we've been working with schools as well? Okay, so I think my first one, and probably a lot of mine, they're quite broad topics and they sort of encapsulate a lot of ideas into it. So in, an, in a sentence, the thing that I find a lot of schools do is not keeping it on the agenda, not mm. keeping it current, and therefore, you know, the short version of that is you've got to give it the time it deserves. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was I think that was definitely one of mine, but maybe I'd woven it into another one of the areas. So I think it was um and it will oh that's right. Um my problem, well, my key mistake was the approach to student management is not deeply embedded into the everyday practice of the whole school. Spot and on. part of that was that it's not regularly reviewed referred to or refined, particularly using data that's most current. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talk about student management and behaviour in a school, we've got to remember that schools are, are living, breathing, you know, beasts of their own. Um, and so you never do something once and it's done. You know, it's always coming back to, it's always reviewing, it's always refreshing, going over, checking in, is everything okay, re-establishing. Um, 
readdressing staff that are coming to the school, updating them. New students, do they know what the systems are? Updating them. So how good are we at keeping that current and not just going, I've done it and compartmentalise it and put it over there and now I can focus on something else? Because all that happens then is that it gets forgotten, doesn't get used, and then that problem recirculates later on. Yeah, and that's right, and we're seeing that in the schools that we're working with is that when we step in and we talk about the approach the approach that they have in school and, you know, that their vision for where they'd like to head, uh, often there's lots of things that are going on. Um, sometimes it can be lots of random things with no clear direction or things have been introduced but never referred to or, or reviewed again. And the problem with teaching is that this is constantly happening across lots of key learning areas as well as these strategic approaches and so it can start to of course lack consistency then so regularly reviewing it keeping it at the fore is really important because otherwise with our cognitive loads full overflowing I would say they're not just full uh, we definitely do forget those or we can fall back into old habits and that's like anything even you know any approach anything that we're focusing on or habits we're trying to build in life let alone at work. Yeah 100% I think one of the key things um, that we address there is the ability to go back and, and use that currency of data to tap back into what's happening so you know a school that thinks um a certain behaviour or a certain student management need is the same priority throughout its entire time, well, I don't think they'd say that they're reflecting on what's actually happening because the school's going to ebb and flow, you know. Different cohorts of students, we see um, different needs coming through from society. And so one year, it might be a heavy focus on school attendance or having kids actually show up to classes or, or to be present there. And another year, it could be things like violence or it could be things like swearing or whatever. So those ebbs and flows that we see within a society and that we see come through at different um, generations um, and which is based on how, you know, our bigger picture world is happening and what, what's coming from the currency of that is going to influence what um, our little people's minds are focused on or interrupted by. Mm. So the ability to use that data in the school to go, oh, well, actually, the data says we're seeing this because this is what our, our staff have logged as some of their key um, either minor or major behaviours. And so therefore we need to adjust what we're doing in this way to address that now. And I think, you know, giving it the time and keeping it on, on the agenda, it, it, it keeps things small. And so by keeping problems small and by addressing them at their point of need, we prevent those things becoming big behaviours and then we prevent, um, you know, the system becoming unbalanced. And mm. so you're always working with small things and addressing them, but it's preventing the big overflow or that, or that bubble up effect. Yeah, and even at a very basic level as we've been developing the action plans, just plugging in at the beginning of each year and then review each term uh, in 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 regards to really looking at our classroom displays and our flow charts and whether they're still current, how we're all going with putting them in place, even just collecting that data and having those discussions. Because as you were saying, just introducing them at the beginning of your journey, uh, you know, having your policy and talking everybody through it but never coming back to it isn't going to be enough uh, to keep things consistent, to provide those opportunities for staff to discuss their concerns, cl get clarification for us to adapt and review based on that changing climate that you are mentioning. Yeah, exactly. And another key point that I want to sort of come back to that you mentioned was the um, the amount of work our staff do. Mm. So it's really important to remember as well. 
there's a lot on the agenda. There's a lot of hats to wear. There's a lot of admin. There's a lot of, you know, teaching time that needs to happen. Um, and so actually putting these little systems in place and keeping them current and keeping them ongoing actually saves time later on, even though it feels like it's something you have to do again and again and again. But in the long run, we'll see the benefits of those things. Yeah, that's right. So that would then lead us into the solution, which we'll discuss in the next episode. So our solution one, which will be to review your approach to student and classroom management regularly. Mm. Um, And of course, this will really depend on how big of a challenge it is, right, Rob? So if it's a huge challenge or a huge problem in your school, you're probably going to be needing to to review and discuss it more often than other schools where it's not so much of a challenge. Uh, so that really, that that flexibility of that approach really lies in what your staff and school environment needs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I'll definitely risk going into solutions if we uh, keep talking about this yep. <laughs> it's, it's bound to happen, but specifically yep. we will try and stay in the episode. All right, so I'm going to then share my first one. Uh, which flows on quite nicely or could be inserted in there before, I guess. Um, But a key mistake that we're seeing and that I've seen before is uh, that a school isn't communicating their vision or their approach to their staff and seeking their feedback and consultation on that approach to ensure universal understanding. Uh, And now that I think is applicable to any strategic approach We don't just kind of roll something out and say, this is what we're doing, do it. Um, I think gone are those days uh, involving staff in in that process and getting the clarity on that uh, really helps our staff to to see their part in in that whole process and in that approach uh, to moving forward. Yeah. Communication you know right up there alongside relationships is the fundamental core of what's going to hold together a school staff that feel empowered by knowing what the bigger picture is staff that feel empowered by um being able to interpret the direction and the goals of where a school's going and then make decisions that they need to make on the ground running to support those areas and those initiatives that's what gives a school the ability to be unified yeah. and the ability for them to to work together. So I couldn't agree more. Communication came up in nearly every one of my other five areas, but I didn't actually single it out. So it's it's really great that you've sort of singled it out as a, as a really good yeah. time. Well, I think it came to my attention because when we're working with schools and we get them to send us their approach and all of the things that they're working with, which ends up being a lot, you know, sometimes it's like 30 or 40 different areas or initiatives or things that they have in place, and we really need to bring that back and you and I kind of bring that in and go, all right, that looks like there's about three or four key areas. So those are the areas that we're working under and each of those bits and pieces all falls in here somehow. Now then we go, well, what, where, do you, where do you want to go with all of that? What are you hoping to achieve? What are your goals here? How do you want the school to look, sound and feel? Because without that, staff are just doing a whole bunch of random things and not really understanding the purpose of your class dojo system or the, you know, the purpose of your community outreach or where trauma-informed practices falls into that. And it's because you're looking for an end result that you need to communicate and then this is to get there, we're doing X, Y and Z uh, and we're hoping that these will be our performance goals at the end of it. Yeah, spot on. 
it keeps people on track. It reminds them of the of the direction and of that purpose and um, helps them to refocus because along the way, you know, there's going to be a thousand other things that come into, into view. You've got to deal with this and deal with that and add this to it and check on that. And it's very easy to lose. You know, it, dis, it, it sort of distracts from where you're going. So to refine and to bring it back in through clarity communication, that's mm. done consistently as well. So coming up with systems that are able to regularly do it rather than just sort of think to yourself as a leader or, um, you know, and I, and I do say it does come from the leaders in schools rather than just sort of ad hoc remembering going, oh, I should really communicate this. Now it's like every week or every time this happens or every situation we need to work on how do we communicate and build that understanding with our staff. Yeah, and like you were saying before, from that vision comes clarity and reduced confusion and frustration. And those are the things that impact well-being. So if staff don't know what they're doing and why they're doing it, then they fall into making up their own rules or their own patterns. Uh, and that's where that frustration can begin to bubble up and the inconsistency. And I think also too, it opens up the perspective of staff when we communicate that vision and those key areas of focus about what is actually happening to support them and students. When we don't visually display that or communicate it, staff think, oh, nothing's being done to help us. But really, when we when we do this and we communicate that, we, we might first of all be saying we do have a lot of things in place in order order to target these areas yes we might not be nailing it the way that we're hoping to but we are here to support you and we are regularly thinking about this because staff don't always see uh, our decisions through a strategic lens Uh, so communicating that vision helps to give them a lay of the land yeah but it also brings them into the fold of like if we go a bit further than that it brings them into the fold of decision making and ownership Mm. as well so a school that's empowered by, um, you know, creating a direction as a, as a unified staff, not just a leadership team followed by staff, but, you know, all together, that's where you get real progress because everybody feels and believes that they're working together on that same thing. It's the classic saying of being on the, on the bus together, we're all heading in the same direction. Yeah, well, I guess that flows in then beautifully to the solution to that, which is to <laughs> co- co-create a vision for your student and classroom management approach alongside your staff so it begins with you as um, as you would know rob as a principal it begins with you as the senior leader but then it's about communicating it seeking that feedback uh and then and then that consultation as well but we'll unpack that further in the next episode (laughs) yeah i like that i like that but but it it, it does start have to start somewhere the beautiful thing is you bring in everyone else's expertise because in the end you're just one person with an idea but when yeah. you talk to five other people, you get this, you know, wonderful, um, I guess, kaleidoscope of skills and perspectives and, and initiatives. And then from there is where you really find the magic of what, what it's going to look like going forward. So, yeah. yeah well, I think about our work with the last school that we were with is that when we communicated the senior leadership's vision and sought the consultation from staff, what was came from that was lots of clarification and staff saying, well, we don't understand what that means. And so then part of the action plan was weaving in those professional development opportunities or those discussions or the review of the data to attend to those areas because that's where you start to see the things popping up that that are required to be able to systemise that approach. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. All right, what was your next one? Um, a little bit. A little bit in line with some of those ideas. So we talked about some of those concepts, but I'm going to jump to one which I think a lot of people will 
you know, have the little aha moment to it. And for me, in a, in a, in a simple nutshell, it's not following through. Mm. So student management, behaviour management is about consistency mm. and the knowledge from students, from staff, from the community that you're going to follow through. Now, follow through doesn't mean a consequence. Follow through means a, re- a result in an incident or a situation. Mm. But the student needs to know undoubtedly that something's going to result from a way you've behaved, either positively or negatively. So mm. follow through in general is, is my big one that a lot of schools, I feel, drop the ball on when it comes to the crunch of, of actually following through on a situation. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's a time thing or a lack of skill, a bit of both? Yeah, and see, this is where it comes in. Communication is a big part of that, not not following through. So we break down where that follow-through happens. So maybe it does happen, but the teachers don't find out about it. Mm. Maybe um, the executive think it's, thinks it's followed through, but the staff member doesn't. Maybe yeah. the parent's unhappy with what the follow-through is or the student's unhappy or vice versa. So communication's huge. Yeah. Ultimately, I do think it's a, generally a time thing that happens in terms of um, not being able to follow through appropriately. But that time thing is because potentially of a lack of resourcing mm-hmm. mm. and the ability to actually follow through. Because like we've talked about already, you're wearing so many hats and you're doing so many jobs and you've got so many little people as well as big people's um, you know, best interest at heart. Where do you find the time to do mm-hmm. all of this stuff and wrap everything up perfectly and and know finish it exactly where you need it to yeah and I think it comes back to we see it seems like in the moment like we don't have time but this ends up costing us more in the long run if we don't make that time or put in place a plan and I think it probably flows into one of my ideas which was um you know that staff aren't communicated with following a critical incident or something that they need to be looped back in on um so, you know, yay, we aligned with another one again. But, um, yeah, I think with the big mistake with not doing that is that it can lead to those, what we're seeing when we're speaking with schools, is that it leads to those corridor conversations. Staff don't uh, have the ability to be debriefed or feel heard or be able to move forward. And uh that then can cause the impact on our morale, on the culture and on staff well-being. So part of our action plans uh, I've I've noticed is that you've been including in there that development of a communication plan uh, mm-hmm. so that we make sure that everybody's fed back in when required uh, so that we don't start any of those whispers. Exactly. I think staff frustration was one of the major points I had down as a result of this kind of uh, breakdown in, in not following through, um, which is pretty much everything that you've just, just said then. The staff feel frustrated when they don't get the answers or the information or the knowledge that, um, you know, the social justice has, has occurred in terms of the situation um, because if they feel that they haven't been appropriately treated or appropriately responded to or the student hasn't had that then there won't be closure for them and mm. so that lack of closure generally leads to more incidents mm. and, and, and an on, or an ongoing incident and then that's when you have you know the very unfortunate situation where you get um, students and staff members that say oh well, openly you know all oh, that staff member hates me or that you know that student hates me and they're never going to do what I ask um, mm. and they're never going to and so then we have a breakdown in relationships mm. because of because of reasons that we might be able to 
bring solutions to. Yeah. And that's really sad. Yeah, and I, I think part of that as well is not being involved in that re-entry or that restorative conversation in in the event of a suspension, but even maybe in the re-entry to a classroom where there's there's been that respite provided or the student has ha- has um, absconded or has had to be removed. I think uh, that that part of repairing after that is often overlooked, again, because of time, um, coordination. And I think some people might be able to own this. I certainly did in my career. Lack of organisation. Like we we haven't left a note for ourselves or put it in the calendar to do the re-entry and involve the staff member and we go, oh, we'll just do it because we remember, remember it in the morning. But, um, you know, those are key mistakes that do happen in schools and it's important that we address it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. All right, so the solution that we'll discuss in the next episode yeah. is around developing that communication plan for all staff mm-hmm. uh, and ins- that, of course, ensures then the follow-through. So maybe it's like a follow-through and a communication plan. Mm-hmm. Um, the follow-through kind of almost links, I guess, to that consistent application of the approach or the systemization to behaviour management, which is our flow charts because the flow chart kind of doesn't end at the, just back in the classroom. It's um, what happens beyond that and who's responsible. So my next idea uh, was that the school, the staff, the students and the community are not trauma-informed. Mm. So um it's so much more important in today's day and age to be trauma-informed and this is beginning to gain traction in schools but it's not enough, as we were saying before, linking back to one of the the, um, aforementioned mistakes is that a one-off trauma-informed training isn't going to be enough, particularly if you've got a number of students in your care uh, who have have experienced trauma or are experiencing ongoing trauma and sort of noted down then that without that we're really not understanding the function of behaviour a lot of the time uh, and the context as to why a student might be reacting or responding in that way. Perfect. So one of, we've aligned again, like the last point that I put down was that understanding or building of empathy and flexibility and I think Mm. that's what you're talking about with trauma-informed practice because being trauma-informed is the, you know, the result is having empathy. And the result is having that ability to be flexible, flexible within a system that, that has boundaries. But we need to move away and we need to, well, I'll finish the sentence, we need to move away from the idea that schools, you know, have to be black and white and there has to be consequence to everything. We need to move into an idea that schools are living, breathing, little microorganisms of society and, you know, we need empathy and flexibility uh, in order to respond appropriately to each one of these different incidences that happen because ultimately every incident is individual and every student has its own have their own um, take on something and if it needs time to be able to talk through those with every one of those students and that's what we need to be able to give it to be able to Mm. build that empathy but we need our staff to be able to to show that because when we when we lose it that's when we get that cold approach where it's just black and white and it's just harsh and it's just consequences yeah, and I think that kind of flows in then to to that understanding the stages of escalation as well um, and being able to sort of pinpoint how students might be responding, even how we're responding at the time. I think even if you don't have a large percentage of students who have or are experiencing trauma, uh, knowing and understanding exactly what some of those experiences can do to our brain but also in how we respond or even parents 
like I would take away from a lot of those, the trainings that we would do, that even if our students weren't experiencing trauma, if their parents had, uh, it could, it can change the way that they're parented or responded to. Even for me, as somebody who experienced trauma for a lot of my life, going through that really helped me to develop an awareness of myself and how I respond and how I can go from zero to a hundred in my classroom if, you know, stress is really um, you know, wrapped itself around me and that one student just sets you off. Uh, it's, it, I think I found it really powerful, not just for understanding my students and how they're responding, but also me and how I respond and potentially even how parents could respond to me at other times as well. Mm-hmm. It's a, a massive wormhole almost, isn't it, in terms yeah. of where you can go to. And get yeah, to I think that. many of us have experienced something traumatic at some stage in our life. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I think the thing that I was just looking at my notes, what I wrote down is we've got to remember it's a human system that we're in mm. and we've got to remain human in, <laughs> in this approach because, you know, ultimately we're very complex beings and we all have those individual needs. And like you said, understanding ourself first and foremost in a situation and what that brings to um, uh, an interaction between people can really be the key to understanding what that other person is feeling. Yeah, and I think when a school isn't trauma-informed too, then they don't have those practices and processes set up to be able to develop special plans. I shouldn't say special plans, but Tier 3 plans, and that kind of gives some wiggle room uh, for flexibility in our expectations for our students, particularly those who are experiencing or uh, have experienced trauma that might then impact the way that they behave um, and the functions of their behaviour. So without those, it makes it really tricky then to move away from our universal expectations to then, all right, well, for this student, we know X, Y, and Z about them. So therefore, we have to develop a different set of expectations that still have room for growth and keep everybody safe and 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 hopefully enhance their learning, but um, yeah, it provides that flexibility for them and everybody's open minded to that. I think schools who aren't trauma informed or truly at their core trauma informed mm-hmm. um, don't necessarily have those in place or might have a number of staff. There'll probably always be a few, but a number of staff who say all of our responses or consequences should be the same without that trauma-informed understanding and the regular review of it. Um, I think that that's a, that a key mistake we're beginning to see a lot in our survey responses. 100%, 100% agreed. And they're so intricately entwined within each other, you know, one flying onto the next. It's so important to um, see them as a big picture too because you just mm. you don't have one without the other. And But they're so fundamental that you can actually resolve a lot of them with some really good practice around that trauma-informed approach and that empathy and those relationships. So I'm wondering here whether our solution maybe necessarily isn't always just around exploring embed trauma-informed practices, but it's about having that focus or that value on empathy and understanding, open-mindedness and perspective almost. Yeah, 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 and relationships, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Hi there, sorry to interrupt this episode, but now is the perfect time to let you know that over the past year, Rob and I have partnered to create a new pilot program designed to support schools to specifically address student management challenges. 
This program is great for those who have identified student management as a top stressor for staff, and it's designed to empower schools to create a systematic school-wide approach to student behaviour management in order to improve staff wellbeing and school performance. We'll support you to develop a two-year action plan and with this action plan in place, you can finally restore harmony in the classroom with an evidence-based approach, implement a unified vision and practices across the school that boost culture, give clarity to your staff in the change process and promote engagement, collaboration and ultimately see the results your school needs to thrive. Being a pilot program, we're looking to build the most effective offerings for schools, so we're heavily discounting the program. Now is absolutely the time to jump in and be part of something really special. The schools that we're working with already are giving us excellent feedback. You can learn more at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash behavior hyphen pilot. All right, so one of my... Second last ones that I've got, um, and I'm going to I'm going to leave the obvious one to last because it's it's going to be a big conversation. But the one I really liked uh, when I thought about it, and a mistake that I feel, and it flows on beautifully from our empathy conversation that we just had. One of the mistakes I, I feel that schools make is not hearing the students, mm. so they don't give the time to actually listening to what the students have to say, and it's too much of the you know, do it to them instead of do it with them. Um, and students in the end rebel against that, the frustration of not being heard by just going, oh, well, I'll, I'm just going to break rules in or I'm just going to do whatever's, whatever's different because no one listens to me anyway. Mm. And so I think, yeah, I think a lot of situations could be avoided if we truly understood what it was the student or their behaviour was trying to say. Mm. Yeah, I think, and I think that almost sort of fits under the banner of that, um, that empathetic and mm. approach, or even applying a bit of humanness, as you were saying before, <laughs> uh, and emotional intelligence to our interactions. Is that, yeah, we it's it's really great to have high expectations, but if they're so out of reach for some of our students, um, that it means that we can be quite unbending to 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 open up our perspective and hear their side of the story. Um, it, it does, it makes a real challenge. And I think, you know, thinking back to when we were in school together, it was part of the process to, of course, gather the perspectives of everybody, all of the evidence, and then <laughs> ascertain what you think has happened. Hopefully people were honest, you know, it was the worst thing in the world when I would spend my whole session with, you know, a group of five students and three of them would have lied. I was thinking, <laughs> the whole yeah, <laughs> like I just needed the truth from the beginning. But it's so important in that instance, of course, to listen to everybody, uh, all students included, uh, so that we can get to the bottom of what what in fact has happened. Mm. Uh, and then that links back almost to one, what we were discussing before in regards to the vision that we have for our school and involving the staff in the consultation. Yes. We really have to remember to involve the students. Yeah, yeah. I think if we remember back, when I remember back to being a, a, a you know, younger person, you don't even have to remember back, back to being a younger person. You can remember back to some meetings that we've been in. Um, I hope I never did it to you too much, Adrian, when it came to our <laughs> meetings. But, you know, when you're in a meeting and you want to say something and you get talked over the top of or the other person's just on a on a path where they've got an agenda and they're not going to really hear, the, you know, the blinkers are on and they're not going to hear from other people, there's nothing more disengaging 
as that person who's not being heard. Mm. You instantly switch off. And so you can picture yourself as a student in that situation and that, you know, that teacher or that staff member or that executive is just not getting what you're trying to say. Mm. You instantly switch off. You just become, mm. well, there's no point in, in, in working through this. There's no point in coming to a resolution because, you know, that person has already made up their mind or, you know, knows where the journey or the destination is going to end. So, you know, I'm totally disempowered. And that's the exact opposite of what we want our students to feel. That's right. And one thing I learned from a lot of those discussions with students was that whether or not we thought it was right with our rational brains as an adult, which have had many more years to develop, by the way, um, mm. for some of our students, it's, their perspective is very real to them. And the second that we dismiss that, uh, in favour of, again, a more rational train of thought or how somebody else has perceived it, we instantly squash out or rule out their view and their interpretation of it. And, yes, while it might not be right or, um, again, in line with reality, it's so real to them. Uh, and it would be so frustrating to have somebody uh, tell you that what you see and believe wasn't the truth. We certainly know that <laughs> as yeah. adults. Being really mindful of that, yeah. And, you know, I, I can put my parent hat on here and just go instantly. I can reflect back to five times. I've probably done the exact same thing to my kids and just I sit here and feel to myself, gosh, got to be so careful with these interactions because every little person is in that process of developing and building and adding to their understanding of the world. And we want them to know that, you know, their perspective is important and that even though it might not be right, like you said, it, it's important for us to be able to, talk it through with them um, mm. and help build their understanding as to you know other perspectives or, or bigger picture ideas so that they can later on bounce those off when they get to another scenario bounce it off what they learn and then hopefully make a better choice or a different choice next time yeah I think it, it makes me think of experience yesterday with my four-year-old who came into me in tears saying that his auntie had pushed him <laughs> we live we live with his auntie and when I came out and got to the bottom of the story it was that um, he'd been knocked over at, after he'd thrown the Christmas wrapping and she'd run to get the end of it, had knocked him over in that incident. But he was adamant he'd been pushed. <laughs> Whereas the, the adult side of the story was, no, no, as I was rushing to get it, I'd knocked you over. But to him, that was so true and real and I had to soothe him in that moment and respond to it and repair that. Because we can't just say, well, no, that's not what happened. Because to him, that's exactly how he interpreted it. So, mm. or it's hard, it's easy to, I was the rational one in the moment, wasn't involved in the wrapping paper incident. So I could be calm. But maybe that's what we need in the schools is to involve others to, to help, you know, be a bit separate from that situation. Oh, 100%. And then all of those other things we've talked about, the time comes into it and the processes come into it. Um, and the hearing of the students and the empathy for them. And so what we understand is that a lot of these things are very closely uh, inter interlaced and interlocked in terms of their effect on each other. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, this then um, flows into my next mistake or challenge that I think particularly we've been observing of late with our, a few of those pilot schools in our uh, action planning project yep. is that I think that there's an insufficient emphasis on positive behaviours and too much of a focus on negative behaviours or this insatiable desire for consequences. <laughs> 100%. 
it's happening um, in my house at the moment as well so i get it yeah. um yeah, yeah it's it's it we we see it so much is that ev- everybody's got their major and minor matrix matrices and they've got their flow charts up and they're focusing on the expectations in the different areas across their school i think people are really nailing that part but they're forgetting the other equally important probably if not more important aspect of this which is acknowledging positive behaviors and reinforcing what we want to see in alignment with our with our values 100 percent. so the thing i wrote down was converting the focus from negative to positive Mm. that's the biggest mistake exactly what you detailed Mm. the whole idea of our system is to stop our kids thinking that there's um they're doing something wrong and there's a consequence to it but to get them focused on um all of that feedback to the positive choices they make and so we realign their whole process of ordering and thinking and doing based around you know the the positive side of it the positive affirmation around oh you're really learning you know that's uh, outstanding rather than those kids we have in our classrooms that are scared to do work because they're afraid of getting it wrong Mm. you know it's about having a go because you know, it's something new and creative and look what you've come, uh, where you've come from and, and where you can go to. So that mindset is, is, is something that needs to be changed. But when we look at history, we're fighting something that's so old and, you know, the generational effect of what's happened with this. I mean, even the schooling system, sitting at desks in a room, you know, here's a measuring stick. You all have to be this good. Every year you have to pass these tests in order to prove that you're you know, able to go up to the next thing, it all sets us up for the context of negative consequences because we're not achieving this or and there and then that therefore makes our behaviours sort of come out as well and we end up doing more negative behaviours. Um, so it's it's just a it's a big one for me because we need to re-establish and re-construct uh, what this positive element means and how we can utilise that in all aspects of you know behaviour, work, curriculum. Um, empathy, human relations, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and it's it, it's that very authoritarian model of education. Yeah. And it's what I find fascinating, particularly as I reflect the most current experience for me, of course, is in my household, is that we're looking for respect and we think that respect is abiding by rules when respect is actually working together to problem solve and having um, that relationship with with one another. And so I, I know that with a lot of positive behaviour-focused schools, respect is generally one of those values, but respect isn't just doing what you're told all the time. It's genuinely respecting somebody that you want to work with them. And that comes through those that positive acknowledgement and recognition and that development of relationships and trust. And um, I, I think that we're, we're seeing it a lot uh, when we're working with schools is that there are some teachers wanting respect to find, I think, because they're beginning to see the, the change in what that actually requires. But, you know, the last thing we want, and that's why it only works for such a short period of time in our classrooms, is that students will follow rules and ultimatums and threats for so long. And then, like you said, they just give up 
because they think, you know, I can't do that anyway. This is always just negative. Um, so it, yeah, that, that reinforcement around the positive behaviors builds that intrinsic motivation to want to do well, to be part of the team, which is the classroom and have that trustful relationship with their educators. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Bang on. Um, it, 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 it feeds into every other area so importantly. Uh, and so, you know, precisely because it's the, it's the makeup and the mechanism of how you can have a healthy thought process to doing anything, to, mm. to resolving a problem, to, tackling a challenge to um, congratulating someone who's you know beaten you for example you know if, if it was a running race or anything or someone who's you know because there are we, we are different to each other and there are times when we, we're going to feel that we lost or that we've won but how do we how do we embrace that positively mm-hmm. is, the, is the real challenge that we that we need to get our students and our younger people to understand it doesn't have to be a competition all the time it has to be an understanding and an and a acknowledgement of other people are great and I can be great too. Mm. That's, you know, we can all be great in our own way. Yeah, I think that's the first thing to slip off in an, appro- in an approach to a systemized student management uh, system in our school. It, and that's the, coming back to that that mistake that we don't often review it is checking back in with ourselves. Are we still recognizing and, and validating those positive behaviors? And if yeah. we're not, we probably need to reinvigorate that because I think it's quite, it feels unnatural to us to to do that um, mm. because of how we've been conditioned in our own education and then how education is, has been up until more recent years. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So our solution there that we'll discuss in the next episode is to adopt and I guess embed that positive behavior approach and and keep that consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Slide the focus. Did I did I steal your last idea or did you actually have one more? I do have one more. One more, which you know, controversial in 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 many ways because you know my last one is resourcing. Mm. And what I mean by resourcing is we don't put enough resources into the right areas or enough focus into the right areas in order to get the results that we need for our student management. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, first of all, being political, I don't think schools are supported enough from the government to have the resourcing they need to be able to do it. So that's my first point, and that goes right down the line of not enough staff, um, not, enough, not enough equipment, often not enough space or actual resources to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we... Ignore that for the moment and say we've got to put, you know, our, our, our money where our mouth is. If we want our students to be able to learn, then they have to be in the right um, state of mind to be, able to, to be able to learn. And so that's looking after, as we've talked about, their social and emotional needs. Um, but it means being on the ground as a leader. It means being in classrooms. It means putting extra staff into places where you need to put them. It means hiring extra staff if you need to have them. Maybe youth support workers, maybe extra classroom assistants, maybe extra teachers in spaces. But pressure of that is do schools have enough resources to be able to do what they need to support those students and as we said before there are increasing demands coming from society increasing students with increasing needs in classrooms and it's becoming harder and harder and so my feeling is and you know the political side of it is we need more and more resources Mm. first of all appropriate resourcing within a school placing where we need but then additional resourcing from governments to really bolster out those areas of Mm. And I think even a solution, I guess, to uh, I'm thinking so we don't have people, uh, I guess, bypassing that step and going, well, the resourcing thing isn't is something that I can't control. It's well, how can we think creatively 
in our school and how can we go about uh, a smarter recruitment process and um, adaption of roles. I think we were talking with another, with a school the other day, uh, they said, oh, we're talking about, um, you know, uh, a a place where students could go as Mm. a circuit break uh, or for reteaching of behaviours around uh, a PBS model and who would do that. And your suggestion was around our success with youth support workers. Uh, but we had the, uh, the student lead, uh, sorry, the school leadership team say, oh, there's somebody who we could have who could go into that space who's off in that time. And I said, no, 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 it's not worth just putting a person in there. You, you're probably better off waiting for it to be the right person. Uh, and ensuring that your resourcing is well thought out so that um, anybody who is dealing or responding to student behaviour or um, uh, building those wellbeing plans is well equipped to do so. Otherwise, it can be seen all of these initiatives that we put in place can potentially be seen as a waste of time and money by our students if we don't get that, uh, sorry, our staff if we don't get that buy-in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, it's 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 a big it's a big discussion point resourcing because mm. it can go in many ways. Yeah, it can. Uh, but I think you're right there, breaking it into two. You know, what can the school do with what they've got, mm-hmm. as well as then how do we how do we advocate for what we need? Yes. Yeah. And push back a bit. Of, yeah. Part of maybe mm. that's part of our solution discussion when we get to our, our next podcast. Yeah, definitely. And then I had one more final one that I think. Um, actually might link in quite nicely to a point that you made uh, in as part of that around leaders being on the floor is mm. that I think a, a bit of a mistake or a pattern that we can fall into is an over-reliance on leaders or behaviour support staff to be solving behaviour challenges in our classroom that aren't major behaviours, of course. So um, generally our senior leaders and leaders would be dealing with major behaviours. But um you know, I think in terms of when we're called to respond as leaders, we might think it's saving time to take a student out or to deal with the problem, but really it's actually adding more in the long run because it's causing a bit of a uh, a disjoint, I guess, in the in the relationship building that the teacher would have with the student. And, um, yeah, I think that this is something we're seeing a lot is that leaders are swooping in to save the day. It has happened in the past heaps. Yeah. It happens now and it will continue to happen in the future. And that's because of a lack of a lot of other things that we've talked about and the mistakes that are made. So not good processes to follow through, not enough time to spend mm. in that place, not enough resources to support mm. them to have the time to do, to follow those processes that should yeah. be in place. Um, and then, you know, hearing out the students, you know, you need to have that in, there, in that ability too. So being present on the floor is super important, but that's only a presence that enables staff mm. to feel empowered to do what they need to do to work through those steps to have that resolution in, in terms of the, the maintaining the power within that classroom. Mm. And I don't mean power in the sense of, you know, a, a power relationship, but I mean mm. the power to support the students as best that they, that they need. Mm. Um, and solve that problem so, in the solve moment. That problem. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I do think um, it comes down to a time essence a lot of the time in terms of them just going, well, if I solve it now and get the student back in the classroom, it's done. Mm. But actually that opens up another can of worms in terms of problems. Yeah, and it probably links back to one of the main, the points that we were talking about earlier, which is around reviewing our practices and our processes and what we're doing in classroom. And I think the solution there really lies in upskilling uh, 
our teachers and our staff to be able to manage those more minor behaviours, follow processes and build relationships. So investing in in that um, is is going to yield more positive results in the long run. All right, so thank you for joining me for our first episode where we discuss some of those key mistakes or challenges that we're seeing in schools in regards to student and classroom management. Uh, We'll be back on episode two of season two to discuss some of those key solutions to those mistakes. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Adrian. Chat soon. Have you observed or experienced any other common mistakes? We'd love for you to leave the show a five-star review wherever you're listening to this and include these common mistakes in your comment. We can't wait to read more and respond to these in later episodes. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Well-Led Schools. We're opening up space for five more schools to enter our student management pilot program. This is a heavily discounted opportunity to work with us as we tailor and embed a student management action plan to focus your school's approach and avoid all of these common mistakes. You can learn more at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash behavior hyphen pilot. That's behavior with an O-U-R. As always, you can access the show notes for this episode complete with the information and links wherever you are listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review if you haven't already. These really help grow our reach and help us to support more schools. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.